reading from 1 Corinthians. Now I should remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which you are also being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ had died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of which are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to someone untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether it was I or they, so we proclaim, and you have come to believe. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people.
A reading from the Gospel according to John. Then Jesus cried aloud, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. I do not judge anyone who hears my words and does not keep them. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. On the last day, the word that I have spoken will serve as judge. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment about what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I speak, therefore, I speak just as the Father has told me. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people.
It's another part of uh, uh, sort of a, a little landmark day, not even a little landmark day, kind of a big landmark day, our first in-person choral evensong since March of last year, 19 full months. It's a very long time to go without some of these nourishing and beautiful experiences that are so deep a part of the tapestry of our life. So I know I speak for uh, Nicole Keller and the choir and all of the staff, and I dare say I speak for all of us in this building and online and saying how uh, meaningful and wonderful and it is to be back here on so many levels. So thank you for sharing it with us tonight, this very first even song back, and we'll be doing this on a weekly basis with very few exceptions until the middle of December. So we hope to see you back often, maybe even a week from today. So thanks to you all. As you likely know, Dean Owens and his family have been uh, uh, having a little uh, COVID uh, wrestling match. They've just about got it wrestled into submission, but uh, he's not quite back on all cylinders. He is going to uh, send us the homily remotely today. So the choir was saying, oh, he's going to phone it in. Hmm? So <laughs> that's in a, in a certain way, yes. But we really appreciate the wonders of technology making that possible. And uh, so... Uh, with, with that in mind, Sam and Scott are going to press magic buttons, and we're going to hear from B.J. Owens right here in this space right now. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to start by welcoming you to Evensong, welcoming you back to Evensong. I want to thank our choir for their leadership for the gift of music. I'm so grateful that we have it again. I want to thank all of you for being with us, whether you're online or whether you're in person. I'm sorry, I cannot be with you yet online. I'm still dealing with COVID. Uh, hopefully within a few days, we'll be clear of it and I'll be able to get back to normal life. But in the meantime, I'm grateful I can, for the chance to be with you in this way. Now, with all of the books and movies about the salacious details of the early Anglican church, I could, just as, I could just about have skipped my English church history classes in seminary and instead settled in with a library card and a Netflix queue. The characters that make up our early family tree were empire builders and adulterers. They were influencers and inquisitors, saints and spies. And if you want a quick tour, you can find some pretty good movies. One, of course, is A Man for All Seasons, that wonderful old movie. But if you really want to go deep, you should pick up Henry Hillary Mantel's Wolf Hall trilogy. Or pay a few dollars to PBS and stream their wonderful miniseries of the books. Now, these are all works of historical fiction. And every writer and director has their own perspective. I would imagine most people watching them are either looking for a nice period piece or, or maybe even some, uh, some good old-fashioned drama, and not, as I was, looking for glimpses of our ancestors. Wolf Hall offers a favorable picture of Thomas Cromwell, advisor first to Cardinal Wolsey and then to Henry VIII, who cunningly built up the king's power and his own fortune while secretly and faithfully supporting the underground cause to translate Holy Scripture into English. 
along the way, almost as a sidebar to defending Henry VIII's administration from Spain and Rome and revolts from within. The real problem, by the way, was that the kingdom was broke. It was about money. It's always about money. Wolf Hall would also be a kind of ecclesial espionage story as well, as Cranmer would surreptitiously escape between meetings to join prayer gatherings where they would do something that, if caught, would mean their death. They read Holy Scripture in English, using translations provided by William Tyndale. William Tyndale is himself a character in the drama, a target of the king's ire who can remain alive only as long as he can remain underground. Now, the more factual account of Tyndale's life is this. Before being publicly executed for his crime, he had translated the New Testament and much of the Old Testament into English. And much of his work, some 80%, survived when it was carried over into the authorized version of 1611, 1611, uh, commonly known as the King James Bible. At the same time, Miles Coverdale, from the relative safety of the European continent, composed a complete translation of Holy Scripture into English. It was Coverdale's Psalter that became the anchor of Thomas Cranmer's first book of common prayer. Even our church's Lesser Feasts and Fasts, which is a, a pocket history book, tells us that Tyndale's life reads, quote, like a cloak and dagger story. And of course, it had to. His singular goal, his heart's desire, was both illegal and a threat to the power of kings and patriarchs alike. Tyndale and Coverdale sought to return to the well, to touch Jesus through words that were accessible to all God's people. They knew that scripture contained wisdom and revelation and grace, and that the people of God deserved to encounter these gifts firsthand. Tyndale's driving passion was to return to the well of divine revelation, past the mysteries of a language that the people did not speak, and the mediation of a church and a civic administration invested more in its own survival than in the spiritual vitality of the people. Tyndale had no intention of creating a new church on that he and Henry VIII agreed, but rather he simply wanted to create a text that would connect the people of God to the word of God, that would connect the people of God to God without interpretation. Though a different era, something about that time is not so different from our own. Now, Tyndale had to survive in secret, stitching copies of translations into clothing worn by businessmen and diplomats crossing the English Channel, echoing almost 500 years before the tradecraft of novels by Graham Greene and John Le Carre. Yet this new thing, this new word in the language of the people spread as new communication technologies spread, as a new kind of global trade meant not only that goods crossed boundaries and borders, but ideas did as well. The same channels that carried commerce and world-changing ideas 
could also be used to carry the word of God. William Tyndale and Miles Coverdale risked their lives, and Tyndale lost his in the work that is the work of that is the at the heart of all reform. They were not building a new church. Rather, they were building their sister, they were, they were drawing their sisters, their brothers, their kindred past the fortifications and calcifications of what the church had become and back to the original well of revelation and grace where they could again meet the risen Lord. Imagine for a moment, imagine what those words of the Gospels must have sounded like. The words of Jesus in your own language after a lifetime of hearing only vague meaning and opaque interpretations. Not in Latin, the language of clerics and kings, but in the words they used to talk to their loved ones, to understand the world, the words they used to express the longings of their own hearts. Imagine hearing for the first time, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. Once said, once offered as words that have a real claim on our lives, this word can never drift again back into the ether of the magisterium. Once the word is uttered, it cannot be unsaid. Words that now bear the burden of scripture never quite lose their meaning. Even when used in regular life, the word light, for example, could never fully be uttered without reference to Christ or the resurrection. The convicting words of the prophets, the promises of the resurrection, the stories of creation and miracle and, and transformation, all these stories became the word of God, which once heard in our own language forever holds a claim on our hearts. It is no wonder that Tyndale had to stay underground Henry VIII and Wolsey and Cranmer were engaged in great power politics, fighting rebellions and empires, empires and intrigue, all while striving to hold on to power. Yet it was Coverdale whose work of translation changed the story. And it was Tyndale who offered his life up freely at the stake, who not through armies or hostile takeovers but through ribbons of paper stitched into worn clothing, changed the faith, changed the world for the people of God.
say together the general thanksgiving, prayer number one, found on page three of your Evensong leaflet. God of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness, loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, all the blessings of this life, but above all, for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace, for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.